Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. Whether it's Crown or The Star, I don't reckon a day's gone by in the last few weeks when we haven't mentioned the gaming sector. We've had some extraordinary revelations and allegations come out of the inquiry into The Star in New South Wales. In one case, the casino allegedly processed almost a million dollars from one gambler as payment for 27 nights of accommodation that he didn't actually use before providing the money back to him for use on the casino floor. That man spent almost $100 million over 15 years using a banned China Union pay card. On another occasion, the casino was allegedly dealing with a member of a Chinese triad gang and did nothing about it for three months. It also emerged that CEO Matt Beckier had slammed a 2018 KPMG report that had been critical of the star's anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing systems. Mr. Beckley, of course, resigned last week. Meanwhile, Crown Resorts is still on track to be sold to US investment giant Blackstone, having kept its license to operate a casino in Western Australia. Crown's had a shocking couple of years facing inquiries in New South Wales, Victoria and WA, which uncovered widespread money laundering and dealing with organised crime. So much in all that. Peter Deans is a former Chief Risk Officer and founder of Not Without Risk Consulting. He was also the independent expert advisor to the Victorian and Western Australian Royal Commissions into Crown Casino. Peter, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Hi, Sean. Good to be back again. What is it about the gaming sector that seems to make these issues so widespread? It's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> I worked with a security guy many years ago and he, he often said to me, he said, oh, you know why people rob banks? He said that's where the money is. And I think the same goes for casinos. I, I think the you know, the volumes of money that they turn over, the nature of the business, um, inherently attracts you know a lot a lot of money looking for a place to be be laundered uh, or or find a find a home. Is it possible for a gaming company to be run profitably with a good return to shareholders, with good governance, with no ill doings? In Australia, anywhere in the world for that matter. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm probably firstly say I'm not a gaming industry expert and probably more on the risk management side of things. But, yeah, I'd like to believe that, you know, properly managed, properly regulated with the checks and balances in place, even large publicly listed gaming corporations uh, can, can you know, effectively be run cleanly. But, but it takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of alignment of, you know, things like roles and responsibilities, uh, performance incentives, um, you know, have the right culture in place, and ultimately you need everything to, to work well from board level down. Yeah, I mean, I want to get into the star in a moment, but what you said up front, it's where the money is. I suppose if we think in the last three or four years, the Banking Royal Commission, there was criminal activity, not wasn't sort of senior bankers, it was individuals within organisations undertaking allegedly criminal activity. So it, it kind of isn't only the gaming companies. I mean, the banks themselves have fallen foul of uh, anti-money laundering, particularly when it, in the case of Westpac. So it, it, it may be, I mean, I'm just thinking aloud here, Peter, it's not really unique to gaming. No, it's a, it's a broader question around uh, really society and how the how the business world operates. You've had infiltration of criminal gangs in large parts of the business activities, not just in Australia and overseas. Um, you know, whether it's the auto industry, whether it's um, you know all parts of financial services like you know, payday lending, also had 
many, many challenges for years. Um, financial services, gaming, hospitality, you know, more generally. I, I think, unfortunately, the capitalist society we work in uh, and, uh, you know, the criminal elements, they do follow, follow the money. They find the gap to go through and I think that's a little bit where the casino industry found itself in the last decade was there were clearly some gaps across many of the, the main players and the criminal elements, you know, they found, they found the gap. Stay with me, Peter. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Peter Deans, a former Chief Risk Officer and founder of Not Without Risk Consulting, an independent expert advisor to the Victorian and WA Royal Commissions into Crowd Casino. Okay, so is there anything out of the inquiry into the star thus far that's shocked you? Yeah, look, I'm not uh, I'm not involved in Star in any way, and as you touched on, uh, my role last year was with Crown. But I think from just listening to the hearings and also some of the commentary that's come out, you've got similar issues would appear to be emerging where the the risk governance and oversight, uh, the understanding of the risks, you know, was probably not all through the organisation. I think there was, there was clearly some people within STAR and even the external advisors. You, you mentioned the KPMG report that was tabled. They clearly touched on issues that looked quite similar to what came out of the Crown Royal Commissions, yet they, they either weren't properly socialised or perhaps the issues, that the severity and magnitude of the issues wasn't recognised, or perhaps there was a, a desire to either turn a blind eye or perhaps to um, try and sort of rationalise that things were being done to mitigate and address the issues. And I, I guess the, the, the hearings to continue and the final report come out will, will answer the question of what exactly happened. But I think there's a combination of reasons why things have happened from, from what's been talked about so far. It seems that in the case of the Crown, they lost a CEO and a chair. We now have the star having lost a CEO at this point. Certainly the responsibility does start at the top, it seems. Oh, look, I think the, the, the way corporate governance in Australia works, there's there's quite clearly uh, a responsibility that sits with the board and ultimately the chair is the peak role in corporate governance in Australia. And the CEO, all CEOs are remunerated handsomely to, to make it all work and bring it all together. So so clearly the buck stops with both. You know, it's interesting, I said, this is this sort of alignment of remuneration the risk and reward being right and in the case of the ceos that that resign or fall on their sword the question is well is it their responsibility to get the risk and reward right or what is the role of the board or is it a joint collective responsibility and i think the way it sort of panned out with crown again i think the expectation of stakeholders bet regulators investors is that, that there is there is individual responsibility uh, for the CEO and chair, but there's also a collective responsibility for the board and the management teams. Why would you be on a board of a casino group then? So I totally appreciate what you're saying there, Peter, but in the case of Crown particularly, there are a number of people on that board who, they're not unique in this by any stretch, didn't really know what was going on day to day. And to be honest, most boards don't know what's going on day to day. Well, I think on that last point, we've probably got another session on uh, the role of boards more generally, but um, I, I think the directors, irrespective of, of the size of the company or how much they're paid, I mean, they are actually paid to know what's going on. And uh, I think what came out of Crown was that some of the directors clearly saw the part-time role as being very, very high-level 
governance and oversight and probably in my terms a little g and a little o governance and oversight but ultimately you know i think there's an expectation that directors even if they are part-time roles um, do need to have a depth of understanding of the industry the regulatory frameworks that they're involved in and financial services and casinos and gaming i mean it's very heavily regulated industries and i don't think you could really let the directors off by saying it's a part-time role therefore they couldn't know what was going on i I think that's really the the skill that good directors have is even though they may only be coming in once you know once a month for a day or two and the larger organizations it's probably three or four full-time days a month i think you've got you know reasonable reasonable expectation that directors know this i think where the challenge comes and this is you know does get talked about quite a bit is where you've got directors with large portfolios of five and six boards it, it may actually be difficult to be across all of the issues to have sort of side conversations with the executives to get to know the CEO outside the formal construct of the board. And and I think that's where a lot of the more savvy directors are saying, I really want to limit the number of board roles I have because I think realistically it's, it's, it's difficult to do more than three or four, certainly if they're larger, more complex businesses. Okay, so Crown's board did accept your recommendations. You wrote a report for the Victorian Royal Commission uh, on the Crown's Board's governance and risk management. What were some of the recommendations, or the, at least the main ones, that, that they accepted of your recommendations, which kind of addresses exactly what you're talking about? Yeah, I think the, look, there was a number, it was 22 recommendations in total. I think some of the more important ones for Crown was Crown ultimately was a reasonably complex business because it had the, the Melbourne Casino, it had a Perth Casino, it was in the process of building Sydney and it, under the regulatory and licensing requirements, had to do a whole lot of things around organisational oversight and compliance. And Crown actually had a series of governance bodies and management committees for both Melbourne and for Perth. And I think at the end of the day, there was an element of, oh, we thought that board or that audit committee was doing certain things. And it was a bit like the fingers pointing each way. And, and Ultimately, you didn't actually have a lot bubbling up to um, the Crown Resorts board level, certainly not not in the way you would expect to see it given the nature of its regulatory requirements. And then I think also the audit committee at Crown Resorts, somewhat paradoxically, never, never really actually received any audit reports per se. And whilst the Charter did talk about um, audit responsibilities, it was a little bit light on. And it was really because it was actually delegating down to some of the other governance forums. I think the other area, which is probably a bit of a lesson for some boards more broadly, was it just didn't, from my review, didn't seem to spend enough time discussing in depth a lot of the the risk issues it had. And, And this is only my speculation, but I I did feel a bit of a sense of they were talking themselves into the fact that particular issues had been addressed, whether it was anti-money laundering or whether it was around conduct within within the casinos. So there was an element of, um, probably say it's groupthink, I didn't, didn't use that term in the papers, but there was an element of they talked themselves into the fact that everything was okay. And I, I think you saw parallels with that in the Financial Services Royal Commission where I think the boards ultimately felt that they were satisfied everything was okay or it wasn't possibly as bad as it was. Um, but you know, history has shown that wasn't the case. So, I mean, just sort of taking, you sort of referred to this, but other companies outside gaming and even outside banking, 
what can they take from this, particularly boards? It's almost like if you if you're not sure, ask the question, or or you know, stay away from groupthink. Yeah, look, I think it's it's certainly um, certainly highlighted to directors the the personal and reputational downside of of taking for granted either what you read or being told by management. And, you know, boards and executives do need to have a collaborative approach and relationship, but ultimately the board and individual directors need, do need to think about, you know, am I being told the right things? Is is what's being presented to me uh, accurate? So I think there's a question I would always pose with directors on, you know, is there a sufficient challenge underway with management? I think that's an important one. I've, I've sort of sat on the executive side of the table and it can be a bit confronting being, you know, challenged um, by directors and you always get a bit of a sense of, well, do they trust me? But ultimately, I think directors and boards need to sort of sit back and think about is what I'm being presented and the answers being given, you know, are they really what's happening? And And I think what, what we've seen with both Star and Crown is that there were independent parties brought in and, uh, you know, perhaps they weren't listened to enough or perhaps um, some of the findings were dismissed uh, a little bit out of hand and the boards accepted what was presented. So I think that challenge process is important. I was also just going to say, I think the other thing for particularly smaller to medium-sized listed companies is that a lot of them, you know, either don't have an audit and risk committee or they might just have a merged audit and risk committee. I think the roles of both are fundamentally different. And if you look at the ASX principles and recommendations, um, they, they do talk about the importance of having, you know, an audit committee and also a risk committee. And I think, um, you know, what we've seen in the last couple of years with the pandemic, the rise of cybersecurity, I think there's a very strong argument for, for boards to set up dedicated risk management committees. And, and also have uh, some management resources, such as a risk management department or a chief risk officer that is actually looking at these, these issues. Peter, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Great to be back again. Thanks. That was Peter Deans, a former chief risk officer and founder of Not Without Risk Consulting, and of course, an independent expert advisor to the Victorian and Western Australia Royal Commissions into Crown Casino. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.